This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill, your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner. I'm sitting down with J.C. Barber and Wes Watson, two, two creative minds behind the new Scout Comics project, Count Dante, the unauthorized, but sort of true, story of the deadliest man who ever lived. I'm quite looking forward to this one. Thanks for joining me today on the show, guys. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Well, first off, Comics are amazing, or rather specifically at this moment in time, the comics community is amazing. I got wind of this through your editor, Andre Molinari, who's a guest on the show a couple months back. He thought correctly that this would be something I'd be interested in covering, and man, was he correct. This, this thing is wild. As a lifelong practitioner of various forms of martial arts, we're diving into a biography of sorts um, of one of the cult heroes of my generation, John Timothy Keehan, or Count Dante who promoted himself in comics and various other print mediums as the deadliest man alive. Let's start off with the man himself. What attracted you to Count Dante originally, aside from the fact that he looks like he could have played Doctor Strange in the 70s? Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, he, you know, he was such just an interesting story. You don't run across uh, two things. You don't run across someone with such a crazy story that's yep. been underreported for so long. I mean, you would have assumed that we would have heard of him before and talked about him before. And he was kind of a, a mystery to us. Wes actually ran across the stories on it first and then came to me and we went, you know, sort of going through them. And it's, you know, it's such an interesting guy. Now our story is, an, is uh, shouldn't be mistaken for biography. It's, it's, uh, it's a playful kind of uh, um, dipping our toe. There's, there's stuff in it that's true that, that actually has been reported to have happened. But then we kind of obviously exaggerated, as we say in the story, liberties were taken. But um, but yeah, it was he's, he's such an interesting guy. I mean, when do you run across someone who's um, a karate master, a, a hairstylist, um, a used car salesman, some somewhat mixed up with the mob, starts a dojo war with another dojo in town, um, would have been perfectly uh perfectly situated for this time and age in terms of self-promotion. He was, you know, a constant self-promoter. Um, and then who ends up, you know, dying under mysterious circumstances. So it was, it was, it was just too juicy a subject to, to not take. Yeah. I'm amazed that nobody's actually done any. I didn't know that much about him, to be honest. Um, when, when it came through and I was like, Oh my God, this is a real person. This is amazing. Yeah. And his story, you, I mean, if you go down the rabbit hole of the real story of this guy, I mean, you'll spend, you could end up spending, you know, several days reading all sorts of, because he did a lot of crazy stuff. For sure. Well, how did this whole thing jump off? You know, creating comics is its kind of own relationship. So sometimes I feel like Twitter and Instagram are one big creator's tender in a way for, for people to meet. But how did, how yeah. did you guys meet? How did it start? We we met the old school way, um, you know. We uh, at work, um, so okay. uh, 
you know, Clay was the editor of the magazine I was working for. We both worked in newspapers. And um, so we had, that had been the way for a long time. Um, and we'd both been in it for quite a while. Um, we both loved comics. We both talked about comics. And um, we kind of always had talked about, you know, um, why I'd always, I'd always talked about that, oh, I'll, I'll do a comic someday. And, uh, and a little bit before the pandemic started, we started really kind of talking about, you know, well, maybe, maybe we should, I guess. And, you know, the, uh, JC wrote a script, um, you know, that, uh, it, it was, it was a great script. I actually had, had, looking back, I think it was, it was so ambitious that I was like, I don't know if I can do that. So anyways, we, we batted things around for a little while. And then um, about a week before I ever heard about coronavirus, that's what, you know, you called it at the time. Um, you know, I, I, I quit uh, my job, which was really smart. And, uh, you know, so there's some probably timeline things that I'm getting a little bit out of order here. But the, yeah. the general idea yeah. was that, that we would do a comic. And um, we we had started talking about Dante. Uh, we believed that there, the subject matter was was pretty fertile and that we would get something out of it. And we didn't really, I don't think we knew what we were going to do. And uh, JC wrote this script that was uh, fantastic in, in all the meanings of, of the word, because it was, you know, I think for me, what it, what it really does is when you, when you start to really go into the rabbit hole of Dante, Kian, you know, you, you, there's a story there that for me, I thought was kind of incredibly sad, you know? Um, and uh, and what we've done, if you really want to put it in the, you know, the, the easiest digestible way of understanding it, I think we gave him a better ending. I think we gave him, you know, something just as as fantastic as he aspired to be in life. So um, definitely not a documentary. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, but but what, we do hope that other people, you know, when they come across this, they'll they'll do their own deep dive. Um, and, and go and, find the real story. Yeah, go in there. And but you know what's funny is Wes uh, once described it as um, we kind of leaned in. Like this guy had a really outsized view of himself, and like I, you know, in his mind, he I think he kind of thought of himself as this sort of heroic character. And we kind of and Wes once put it that we kind of leaned in to his image of himself a little bit in this story, um, because. I mean, he made up a lot of stuff that wasn't true, <laughs> but it was always, you know, fantastic, crazy, over the top stuff. I mean, he went around with a lion, you know, um, one of the things that didn't end up in the comic, but Wes and I talked about it was um, he had like this brown Cadillac um, and he put like the shield, like a made up a fake shield for Spanish royalty. And, and, you know, that's one of the at least at least one of the stories we ran across talked about that. We have the brown Cadillac, but we didn't bother to go try to figure out what the what how we would make up a fake shield. We we didn't have an example of it to draw from. So. Wow, wow! This guy would have been a, a TikTok king these exactly, days. Exactly right. I mean, he yeah. would have been totally on on re, Facebook Reels and TikTok constantly, and he would have eventually been canceled for sure. But. <laughs> well, going back and looking at the the comics promotion stuff, so. The, the the byline there, you know, what kid wouldn't be lured into something like, yes, this is the deadliest and most terrifying, you know, fighting art known to man and without equal. It's maiming, mutilating, disfiguring, paralyzing and crippling techniques are known only by a few people in the world. Right. So 
everybody's going to get sucked into the Black Dragon Fighting Society. Yeah. 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 It was. I mean, when we were a kid, that's you know, and it's the the little the 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 sort of you know he's doing this. It's you know very iconic, and um, the whole you know five fingers of death kind of scenario of it. Where that's for for the listeners who don't know what he would he was a supposedly an expert in dim mock, which was the the poison touch, which meant he could hit you in certain spots and paralyze you or kill you or do what it you know. Um, so it's sort of like Kill Bill, you know, the movie Kill Bill, where it's the five fingers of, you know, the heart punch, the five finger heart punch that kills you after three steps, that kind of thing that he was supposedly an expert in. Well, were either of you into martial arts, like as kids, are you still into martial arts? Because I was that kid who had the Black Belt magazine subscription that is referenced in the book, right? Oh, like, wow. Really? I'm, yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wasn't. Wes, you were never, uh, were you? Did you do karate? No, no. And and it's funny uh, you should bring that up because I I keep talking with my wife that I I think after this is all done because we, we, we made up, you know, where, where we didn't know any actual real martial arts moves. I, I, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he knew some, but you know, it's kind of like Stan Lee where he didn't know science. We just, you know, there's, there's moves that we're like, we're just going to make that up. And since then I'm like, well, maybe there'll be something good that comes out of this because I think I want to go, uh, go take some martial arts classes mainly because I'm in my early forties now and it might be a way to uh, get in shape. And, you know, I also moved um, about a year ago and I was like, well, you know, be a good way to meet some friends. So maybe there'll be some, some, you know, real that comes out of the story. So. Yeah. I didn't know anything about karate um, or Kung Fu or any sort of martial arts. So there was some research that was done, but it was none that you would, uh, that you would proudly, you know, put on your resume. That's for sure. Um, I looked up some moves and, you know, put it in there. And like, there's parts of it where um, I don't know how far you've been able to read. I think we sent you five issues, right? Yeah, I've read through all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that there's like parts where like the guys, ex- the, the the tournament that they have and the dudes explaining how you score in karate. That stuff's true. I mean, that we got that out yeah. of karate books and whatnot. But uh, but. There's like a whole bunch of times when there's these made up things like, you know, um, you know, like uh, the the Longinus spear and all these different moves that are just sort of made up out of whole cloth. Although Monkey Steals a Peach is, I believe, if I remember correctly, that was a real move. That's the low blow, right? Yeah, that's the low blow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, what were some of your other influences on the book? I mean, you have this fertile ground, as you, you, you've spoken of, uh, being in the 70s. You know, what else are you pulling from, aside from, obviously, your childhood? Yeah. Um, well, I'll let Wes talk about his artistic pull. Uh, from a story standpoint, I mean, he and I both are big fans of the Luke Cage, okay. uh, uh, you know, Iron Fist, that, that sort of, that era of these deadly hands of Kung Fu. Um, you know, we we sort of grew up in uh, in that era and enjoying those kinds of comics. Um, so I would there's definitely that. And then for me, um, there I, I read a lot of modern comics now. So I think if you if you were to when you read it, you probably got the sense that it was sort of like it was sort of um, nostalgic, but with like modern sensibilities in terms of the way people talk. And you know, there wasn't a whole lot of like you a jab turkey or any of that. Right. Sort of, right. 1970 stuff it was more modern the way we joke the way we say things um but definitely that and then um there's probably 
be honest with you, probably a little Quentin Tarantino influence in the way it's told, you know? Um, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we secretly hope that he'll he'll see this podcast. And, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I'll but, see uh, what I can do. I mean, he's yeah. he's from my hometown, you know. Oh, is that right? I think you guys are friends. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're real tight. Not so um, much, but yeah. So it's just like JC said. Uh, he, uh, he, we 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 go back and forth a little bit because um, you know, I, I read more of the old comics. He reads more of the new comics. You know, we both go. You know, either way, but that's really, you know, my wheelhouse is going to be older comics. I'm, you know, always going to be reading things like, you know, the old She-Hulks and, you know, Luke Cage, that sort of thing. But it's also, you know, uh, I guess it's as much movies as anything else. You can look at things like Enter the Dragon. And, you know, when I was growing up, I would, I would sit on my grandparents' floor and, and my uh, my grandfather would just show us, you know, all the old Bruce Lee films and 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 like uh, things like glow so uh it's it's funny that jc ended up putting that um uh, a reference to to glow, glow yeah uh because i don't, I don't really knew yeah. that but you know it was it was you know at my grandfather's place it was all things that i probably shouldn't have been watching so mm-hmm. um and you know going back to you asked if we knew anything about martial arts no nothing at all but you know jc would put things in the script and i would end up you know over on the floor and say okay because it would be the you know the it would be the combination of moves and and I wouldn't really know. I was like, can you do that? You know, if, if you punch with this, can you, can you still go back and, you know, and uh, so I, I would act a lot of those things out to see if, if it was, if it was possible. And I don't know if it's humanly possible to do some of the things that are happening in the book, but I wanted to know if, if you could counter with, you know, if it would make sense to go from this punch to this counter or, you know, this block. And, and so I would act those out. So there, there was, there was an attempt for, you know, uh, realism. But. Well, it's, it's kind of hard to tell this story without at least touching on the impact of Bruce Lee. So how much of his legacy were you wanting to include or in, like kind of got infused into it just just by nature of, of the subject? Yeah. Matter? I, I feel like, well, Bruce Lee's kind of a specter in this, right? You know, he's kind of a, a ghost to some degree because he's already passed by the yeah. time the, the key elements of this story would have taken place. Um, but he does definitely, he kind of lingers in the background, um, spiritually speaking, because, um, Dante, uh, wants to be a star and Bruce Lee was a star. And, and in truth, that's part of the story. That's pretty true. I mean, he went to Hollywood to, to screen test and uh, it didn't go well because he was not able, he was not a, uh, he was not good at pulling punches and things of that nature. So he actually hurt people in the screen test and they were basically like, you know, okay, no, thank you. You're done. Um, but, but it definitely, there is a spirit like his, his dream would be to have become um, a hero on par with Bruce Lee. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you've gone into it a little bit with the, obviously the Cadillac, how much background research did you, did you do on the care? Is there a, is there what is out there aside from, you know, Wikipedia? Because in some ways, kind of the intent was to take liberties with the truth to begin with. Yeah. So may- maybe the less you know, the better. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, if you start going down the rabbit hole, there's quite a, there's quite a bit out there about him. There have been a lot of magazine stories. There's a book that actually was published in the middle of us creating this that we um, discovered like 
a week ago. It was like one of those things where you run across it and you do a search again and all of a sudden there's a new thing popping up, you know, and you're like, ah, where was this? I would have liked to have bought this back in the day. And yeah, um, so there is a book that actually, I think it was published in February of 22. Was it February this year or February of last year? It was right in the middle. We had already like written the story. It was already, Wes had already illustrated, you know, half the mag, half the, the comics. Uh, but there's a ton of uh, magazine stories on them. There's Wes just got a copy of it's Black Belt magazine, isn't it, Wes, that you got there? Um, really cool two-part story um, that that was published. And tell me if I'm getting this right, Wes, but it was like published. He died while it was like in publishing. Yeah. So I brought this up, uh, you know, recently and, and uh, JC was like, spoiler alert. But so, you know, um, it's it's a it's it's no uh it's no secret he he died early um yeah. so I, I don't think that you can know that and you're still not going to know what happened yeah, gonna, in our yeah. story um but the the black belt um magazine articles um they were reported they were researched um before his death and the first one came out and then the second one came out after after he died and uh so you got to read and they had to say that because um because he's very, he's pretty controversial, and when they when they had asked certain people about him when he was living, they they really kind of you know unleashed and uh, and uh, so that ends up in in this article, and so it was pretty fascinating because I actually this you know I just read this one recently, and um, like JC said, there were things that came out while we were working. Um, the book has been penciled for over a year. I mean, I think the last the last bit had been penciled sometime around um, uh, last summer. Um, so, uh, it was, it was the inking and the coloring and stuff, the finishing that's been going on, uh, for the last little bit, but yeah, I mean, there's more now than what we had when we started and probably would have liked to have known, you know, I, I don't know how much it would have changed story though, but, um, but there's more and more, uh, you're asking, you know, he said something about how to, how do people not know about this? I have read that um, that movie "Don't Mess with the Zohan" was actually partially based on him, um, and uh, I knew that for a while. But it's it's so loose, and you know they they obviously aren't you know trying to make that connection. But the the hairdressing you know uh, badass guy you know that I think it was loosely based on him. Well, you've got a lot of other iconic characters from that era thrown in, and that the into the tournament mix kind of specifically you've got shaft and chuck norris or billy jack which is my own personal favorite you know where did you draw the lines with kind of who you wanted to include and are you just kind of embracing the cliches fully or just using them for the humor value or yeah well i mean the the whole idea of this was a nostalgic sort of you know pastiche of the 70s right and um and so you know we wanted to put a lot of these um these characters from that era in there. And of course, if they were like, you know, if they were, if they were real, we could use them, but if they were, you know, we had to do what, right. you know, like avatars of them. Yeah. Um, if they were like staff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's not, it's not shaft. It's staff and it's not Billy Jack. I, well, I would, well I, we never say his name. Yeah. I don't think. We, I think we refer to him just by the fact that he kicks people or something was the, uh, the just with him. And there was also quite chain, you know, the, the, Kung Fu guy that uh, we had in there, Kwai Ching King, except it, obviously it wasn't that um, name, but, well, but it was really just a, an homage to that time period. Um, and, and just, 
one of the things about Dante was when he had these, he was known for having these tournaments that were very violent and sort of didn't adhere to the protocols that most of the uh, martial arts tournaments would be. And um, so we just kind of went with it, rolled with it, like with everything else and exaggerated. Not only did he just ignore protocol and the normal rules, he just said, you know, screw it. Let's just bring, let's bring all fighters in and let's just go at it, you know? Well, part of um, part of how he came up, and this is that true fiction sort of thing. Um, there were these. Uh, he had told everyone that he had been in uh, that he that he had honed his skills in death matches, you know, uh, all across the world. I don't know if there's really any any truth. This is before you know. This is before uh, his actual um, tournaments that he held in in Chicago. But he, there was always this. Well, did he really take place in or take part in death matches and you can read some of these interviews and he would describe what had happened. He also would describe, um, you know, like I think he said the worst fight he'd ever been in was with this mob, you know, person. And um, so there, there were, there were all these, these things, but yeah, uh, the, he actually did post, you know, uh, a tournament. So, so I think so that he could call himself the deadliest man alive. And then, so he could sell, you know, uh, dim mock books to, to kids, but, the funny thing is, you 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 find to say he's controversial. You know, that's that's also something you can look up and find that, you know, there there were a lot of people who don't like him um, that thought he was a complete fraud. But when you read some of these other things, these other people will say, "Oh well, you know, I didn't really like him," or "Oh, that guy's he's bad for martial arts." And then and then they'll 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 come back and be like, "Oh well, yeah, no, he really could fight." You know, um, I think everyone would come back and say, "Oh no, no, he he actually he did know what he was doing." So that part I don't think was exactly made up. It might have been embellished, but. Well, what's the best thing about setting your story in the 1970s? The fashion, maybe. <laughs> the, and the fact that you could do things like, uh, you know, there's a certain romance to things like uh, old school TVs and the way old school uh, television would look. So like in the story, you can tell where Wes kind of leaned into that and it had that, you know, whereas if it were now, it would be a flat screen and it'd be very, you know, kind of dull and, and dry because there, we have TVs and stuff in the background. I think that to me, it's like the ability to use that era's iconic looks, Chuck, you know, Chuck Taylor's shoes and things of that nature. Or very large cars. Yeah, very large cars, yeah. Well, let's talk about the visuals for a minute. There's a there's a lot here that's used to establish, you know, the that timing frame. Uh the pages are textured with a, a very light brown staining in places to give it a vintage feel. Um there are obviously the the silly ads which are kind of ubiquitous with that timeline. Everything from the equalizer, which I won't spoil, to Peyton Manning's dad bod. So how did the ads come about? How did you decide what what went in there? Yeah. Um, the, the true story of that um, is we had a buddy when we were talking when uh, when we were talking about what we wanted to do, we were we were around a friend of ours, um, EJ, and we were just kind of, you know, spitballing things that we would like to do in the book and that sort of thing. And EJ was fascinated by, you know, what where, where we were getting the idea, the, the ads that were in the comics and stuff. And he he was the first person I remember saying he goes. You, you know, it'd be funny if you guys actually did some of these ads in there, too. It would be, you know, and we laughed at it and we didn't really think about doing it. And then at some point, 
we needed um, to, you know, we like we had one or two of the books that was we had misunderstood how how many pages to put in there. And so we needed to add like two pages or something. So we were like, let's just create these ads and put them in there, you know, and then that we liked them so much that we were like, okay, well, you know, going forward, let's add some stuff so that we can. Well, that's awesome. That's a fun way to happenstance. Well, this goes back to, um, you know, which comics uh, we, we each read. And so um, I was, uh, I was insisting on 22 page scripts because that's what I, you know, those are the main ones that I read. And they're kind of, you know, with modern comics, they actually are, they're a little bit all over the board, but with our, with our publisher, there was a cutoff and um, we were going to be able to get it into that original page count, but it was going to, it was going to impact how the, the page flow happened. And since we already had this idea, you know, about the, uh, the fake ads, we we're like, well, you know, um, opportunity there, we can add a little bit more to the, you know, the feel of the book. So. Yeah. And then we just sat down and like, through ideas back and forth to each other at what we thought would be silly and stupid and funny, you know, and a lot of them are inspired by the stuff that, you know, we were, we lived through, you know, the, the, the uh, evil Knievel jumping, you know, toy and all that stuff. So. Yeah. And x-ray specs always play. Yeah. Yeah. They, they never disappoint until you get them. And then you realize my, my favorite moment of this was uh, when my, when our editor read it and um, he, <laughs> He called me and we were going over something and then he, and he said, um, he goes, Oh, like one of them in particular, he said, he was like, Oh man, he was like, that was funny. Uh, I mean, it was right on the border of good taste, but it was funny. (laughs) Well, I went back and did a little research on how comics were colored, you know, back in the seventies. Um, I didn't have a lot of fluency on it, but um, I knew the basics, but I didn't know they were all these finite percentages of yellow, blue, and magenta, these respective combinations of like 25, 50, and 100% that, that only gave you about 100 total color options, half of which apparently weren't useful at all for, for actual printing. And everything was done with these quart-sized bottles of watercolor dye, and none of the colors that you you actually used ever saw print. You know, they were just used for the, the guides for the color separators themselves. So you're working with, you know, Paula Goulart, is I'm, I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly? Yeah, on this project. So how much direction kind of did you give them with respect to coloring and how much did you kind of want to stay true to that era? Because it is pretty desaturated over. Yeah, um, so Paula, I think, had done maybe one project before and um, we, we tested a, a few colorists. I still work pretty closely with Paula on that stuff. Um, the idea in the beginning was, um, I, th- I think just about every question can almost be answered by, we didn't know what we were doing. And then, and then we figured it out. And that, that probably could go for just about everything. And I knew in the beginning um, that I wanted to have halftones just because I, I figured just some, ha- but the way that I was envisioning it was, was less of a, you know, a realistic thing. But what I was trying to get somebody to do was like, if you punch someone that you would see the halftones, you know, you would see more of like a, uh, more of like a style. So I don't, we never really got to the point where we were doing the, like what you were talking about, where we use that, the, the limited uh, palette. Um, we've got, a, I'd say a fairly consistent look, you know, one through six there, there is a, there's a consistency there. 
But, um, you know, uh, going back, the that, that first issue, the one that we ended up getting signed with Scout with, that was the first issue that I'd ever penciled, inked, you know, the original colors that on the first six pages before we had them recolored. That's the, those were the ones that I did. And so I, I didn't really know how to get what I wanted to do. So um, where I guess what I'm saying is with the first book, uh, still very proud of the story and the, and the storytelling, but it wasn't until a little bit later that we started getting the the exact, you know, kind of look that we were going for. It's, it's subtle. I'm not sure everyone's going to see, you know, the big, the big shift or, or, or uh, in, in style, but um, yeah, it, I guess the, the shorter answer is, um, you know, we, we kind of wanted to hint at the, the vintage style, but we never really got completely back to doing, you know, those exact halftones it's more there for the feel yeah but it should be noted that um wes was something of a taskmaster when it came to all aspects of the visual stuff so he was he would go back and forth with paula and be like no 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 he was ahead of it and it was almost there was a initially there probably was a pinball wizard aspect to it where you know he might not have initially had the verbiage in his brain of what he was trying to accomplish. He knew what it was supposed to look like, but by the, you know, it, I think frankly, very quickly, he kind of nailed it down. And I think when you look at it now, I mean, it's got a very distinct kind of vibe to it um, all the way through. So. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I noticed that there's a, a lot of dot texturing, which kind of does some of that tonal shading, um, especially on shapes. Uh, it breaks things up a bit, you know, Wes, you'd said you read more older stuff, and that seems to be something that they used to do more of a lot, and then it went away, and now they're reintroducing it. So is that something you or kind of Paula brought to the table? Because it's, it's a really neat effect. Um, yeah, the most of the time, there, there were a few, there, it was um, some of the, some of the staining of the pages, that was something that she had brought. The, the things with the halftones was, something that we just kind of we really hammered that out after a while where I was like no no I want I want you know and I it was like like JC said it was a little hard to describe at first because when I said that I wanted half tones um I think she wanted she was taking it as um uh an exact you know half tone there were still some things that I wanted to accomplish with color that you don't see as much in the 70s um you know just highlights and shadows and things I still wanted to, you know, you you can find those, but you know, modern comics, you know, they'll use you know gradients and soft shadows and stuff that you just don't find uh, back then. But you know, it's just like uh, reading reading like the Luke Cage comics, especially um, like the Billy Graham and the George Tuska art. You know, really wanted some kind of you know colors like that. And it's I think if you if you look, you'll see that the colors actually start to get bolder after a while. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the early ones. And then actually part of that was because uh, some of the early book, part of the book was in flashback. So we would change, we would shift color some to, yeah. you know. Like we see uh, the Vietnam stuff, it's all in a different kind of, you know, there's a sepia quality to it, you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, what was the, the biggest challenge to draw in the series without giving anything away? Um. Early on, I think the thing that was probably the most difficult was, like I said, it was it was the first comic, so um, just getting consistency. And I I'd, I'd read that somewhere. I I was 
telling somebody that, you know, I, I've, I've read every book on how to, how to, you know, draw comics. And then when we got started, I was like, oh, this is really hard. Um, and so getting consistency with the faces can, you know, um, when somebody had emotion, you know, I didn't want, I see some comics that, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to beat up on any other comics or anything. You'll see some, you know, comics now and it'll be, you know, uh, my, my father died and my dog left and it'll just be this blank, you know, this, this face with, it's not really reflecting anything that's going on. So, um, again, just like with the fight scenes, if, if somebody actually had like an emotional break, you know, I would, a lot of times I'd find myself, I would, I would be, uh, my face would, would be what I was drawing, you know? So if somebody was smiling, I'd be smiling. If somebody was, you know, uh, in agony, you know, I would, I'd be grimacing, but yeah, I think, I think the consistency in the faces and then, um, the fights, the fights were difficult <laughs> and, and there were a lot of them. So. Yeah, those are really interesting, especially with, uh, your kind of approach to lettering. Cause it's the first time I can think where I've seen this necessity to illustrate all these different moves sort of on the same page. So it, it echoes back to my own Sifu giving me these old printouts from like his, you know, martial arts instructors where you have, you know, 12 different moves that are on the page and you have the name of it, you know, yeah. right underneath. So it's, it's easy from that cinematic perspective. Like if you're watching a movie to say, snake creeps through the grass or monkey steals the peach, you know? Um, so, so how did you go about kind of setting out those layouts for those fight scenes? Because, you know, in some cases I remember there were, you know, six or seven, maybe even where it's just like a sequence of moves. Yeah. Um, didn't know what I was doing at first. Okay. It, made, it made sense. Uh, um, you know, when we worked in uh, newspapers, uh, I spent a lot of time in graphics departments. So, um, you know, that part, I was thinking of that. And then I was also thinking of the great, you know, um, you know, like the Ramita Spider-Man uh, sequences. And I, I just love those where, and, and I, I only do it a couple times in the, in the whole series, but, um, you know, that was some of my favorite parts along with like diagrams of, you know, the, the Baxter building and things. But, but the when Spider-Man actually flips, you know, across uh, a scene or, you know, swings across and you see him several times, I, I thought, well, that would be, you know, that would be neat to actually show, you know, the transition there. Well, this is kind of your, your first big comic series. So talk to me about your kind of journey as an illustrator. That seems to be a little bit more of your background and people use different titles, illustrator, artist, you know, what have you. But, you know, where... Where did all this begin? How did we end up here? Yeah. Um, so when I was in school, I guess if you go all the way back, it was a good way to, you know, um, to, to meet people. And if you if you, you know, talk about like elementary school and high school, you know, if you if you would draw them something, they, you know, they'd be your friend. So it was it was a way of meeting people and gaining some sort of, you know, popularity. But. Um, I. You know, I uh, I went to I went to school for photography and um, seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Uh, I was into it, and then I kind of it dropped drawing and, and illustration for for a long time. And it was it was a little bit later that I that I picked it back up. And um, you know, since then it's just uh, you know I I take you know 
when I do take vacations, uh, you know, I'll take them to like museums. I'll drive up to, you know, Newport, Rhode Island, you know, and go to the Illustration Museum. And so, you know, I I enjoy, you know, researching this stuff, um, but I don't really most of the time it, it almost feels weird to say somebody is an influence because you don't want to, you know, it's hard to imagine that you're in the same room with them. Um, I'm, I, I think all these things kind of fly around in my head and I, I think about the way, you know, somebody else might tell a story or, um, you know, or the way they might shade something. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I love this stuff. I talk nonstop about it with my wife. You know, she can, she can spot John Buscemo or Jack Kirby from across the room, you know, oh, wow. she, okay. she sees that stuff. And, and she was never, she wasn't brought up on comics. It's just, you know, she can't really get away fast enough for, uh, you know, when, when I start talking about it. So, Mm-hmm. Well, JC, what about you? Um, what's your comics origin story? Well, I mean, you know, like like Wes, when I was young, I, I read comics quite a bit, and then um, you know, I, I went up, you know, became a seventeen year old car driving person who started chasing girls and kind of got away from comics for a while. Uh, you know, joined the service, came back, went to college, did the whole thing, and then um, I, you know. He and I both worked in journalism. I was a writer for a long time and then an editor for quite some time. And like every writer, you know, um, when you're young, you think you got a book in you. Everybody, everybody, every young writer is like, oh, I'm going to write a novel. And then you sit down and you realize you got nothing to say and <laughs> and you don't really know where to begin. And um, you haven't even really learned enough about yourself to try to tackle diving into a world, you, you, know, you know, that you have to create. Um, so I kind of let it go and just stayed in journalism, you know, and and then when I a little later in life, I had some friends like Wes and and Adrian and them who were really into comics. And we started talking about it and it got me kind of back into it. And uh, we have this buddy, Adrian, who was who sort of gave me a list of really great um, modern comics like, you know, like My Life is a Weapon, um, the, you know, Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon or um you know, like uh, the Snaggletooth Chronicles or uh, or Snagglepuss Chronicles, rather Snaggletooth Chronicles would be a completely different book. Um, and uh, and I'm trying to think of like you know like the Brew Baker books. Or I love the the graphic sure. novels by Brew Baker. Mm-hmm. And I started like finding these things. And you know, Kingdom Come. I didn't know about Kingdom Come until I was you know um, in my 40s. And it was probably Wes who was like, "You got to go look at Kingdom Come." And so I started getting back into it and I never really thought about writing a comic until Wes came to me and said that, you know, he really wanted to illustrate one and asked me if I was interested in trying to write one and um, sounded like a fun writing exercise really, you know, to do. And so then I had to like Google, um, you know, scripts and stuff like that. You know, it's basically for those at home who have never done this. I mean, a comic script is a lot like a movie script that, um, you know, the dialogue and blocking, you know, so it's kind of the easiest way to teach yourself how to tell a full story, a full story arc. And, you know, because you, you can, you don't have to get lost in the exposition. You can, you can make that the simple part, but, you know, and then spend all of your time with the dialogue, which after 25 years of interviewing people, I, I think I'm, you know, that's probably the strongest part of my game. Um, so when he did that, I just sort of had to educate myself on on the, the 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 actual pragmatic side of the craft, 
and uh, found that I loved it. Just kind of, you know, uh, the the first book I attempted, uh, we didn't. I, I got through like maybe twenty pages, and and Wes and I were looking at it, and and it was just it wasn't working. It was it was a little too crazy, and um, and so you know, then we found this idea, and then I was able to really. It kind of probably was a good bridge if you think about it. I come from journalism. I come from all of a sudden I have this this fan this semi there's truth to it, but it's a real dude who lived. But we had a chance to take him and and make it bigger than life and crazy. And it was a little, um, you know, it was it was exciting and fun. And by the end of it, I was hooked. Um, and then I, you know, I wrote I've written three series since then, um, just because it's just such a fun way to tell a story. So. How did it end up with Scout? Oh, uh, well, you know, we, uh, you know how it is. You have to put a pitch together. Um, yep. There's a very f- sort of formatted way to do that and put your log line and all of this stuff in there. And so I just, again, thank God for Google. I Googled, looked up sort of how you do it, put all the stuff in there. And then uh, Wes and I kind of hammered out, you know, what the pitch would be, how it would sound, what we wanted it. And then, you know, you just, I emailed it to, I don't know, 15 or 16 comic companies and um, Scout responded very quickly. And um, that, which we, we got, we heard from a couple, including Scout, but Scout was very quick. And um, thank God, because we didn't realize that we had sort of caught lightning in a bottle. You know, right. I mean, we're, I mean, God, this is easy. Let me write four or five more of these and pitch them, you know? Right, right. You live the dream. Yeah. yeah didn't realize that that's, you know, <laughs> that getting one signed is not an easy task. It, you know, you might write four or five more before you get your next one, you know, that, that they are interested in. Well, you knew you had the right story at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this story is so crazy. I, mm-hmm. frankly, I am, I am legitimately shocked that like Tarantino or someone like that hasn't made a movie about a character. I mean, it just, he's so crazy. You can do so much with it. I just don't. Well, now you've got an IP and like, you can you can option that. And there you go. Then you can right. write what you want. Your lipstick, God's ears, maybe, you know. <laughs> well, where can everybody find you both online? With me, it's uh, me on Twitter uh, at Barbara JC. Um, with me, it's uh, Instagram.com uh, slash West Watson Illo. That's probably the easiest way to get to me. Um, my website is uh, westwatsonillustration.com. Uh, so those, those things that are right there. Sure. Uh, um, I have a I do a Facebook professional page, but I post more to the Instagram stuff. Uh, the Facebook would be the uh, facebook.com slash westwatsonillo again. Okay. Well, my last question is all about the hustle of being a creative, and you're both kind of fairly new to the comics game, so you have fresh perspectives. Um, this is one piece of advice that uh, for somebody that's working on a project that they're planning on pitching or somebody thinking about a career in the field. So what do you have for them? Well, Aside from finished. whatever you write the first time, just get it signed and there you're good. Yeah, exactly. What, what do you think, Wes? What would be your advice? Two things and I'll, I'll keep it really quick. Uh, um, the, the first thing is don't quit your job like I did. And, and that doesn't mean that you don't believe in the project, but I probably should have, you know, held on to the job, you know, uh, but um, the, the the biggest thing is, you know, um, by all means, read all the books on how to do things, but just go, just start a story, just start doing it, get your friend together, you know, uh, thumbnail pages and start doing it that way. Because 
you know, the, the books are going to tell you how other people figured out how to do a story and you're not going to know the problems in your own, you know, technique or, or skills until you start doing it. And that's the only way to work through it. So, you know, the part where it starts to get really hard, that's where you're actually figuring out how to, you know, fix yourself, fix your story and then fix, you know, how you make comics. So just just do it is what I would say. Yeah. And I guess I would say, um, you know, most writers are are paralyzed by the fact that they can't think of the entire story. I think I think, you know, that's the the fear of the white page. You sit down, you don't know what you're going to do. So you paralyze yourself. And I, I know a lot of writers who get trapped in like, you know, I can only, I, I can get to this part, but I don't know what I'm going to do after that. And what I've discovered, uh, at least for me, and I think it probably is true for a lot of writers, um, which, by the way, is why a lot you hear writers do outlines. Um, but it's like, just start. Start with a good idea. Start writing. Um, and write, write with the intention of enjoying the process and, and knowing t- you're going to finish it, even if it stinks at the end. Because what you'll find is when you're doing it, um, amazing things will happen. And you'll be like, you know, later you're like, I have no idea how I came up with that part of the story. Um, I mean, if you go, when you look at the end of this series, I had no idea it was going to end up there when I started. Um, I knew, you know, we had sort of signposts along the way. We wanted this to happen. We wanted that to happen. But then, you know, you just sort of go. And it's a very freeing thing when you finally finish one. It gets easier because once you finish one, then you're not as scared of the unknown. And then you'll sit down and you'll be like, OK, well, I have an idea for, you know, um, you know, a, 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 a federal agent that's chasing terrorists, you know, and he, you know, and then you'll start writing it and just work your way through it one step at a time. Be patient. Um, and it'll, you know, I think it, it'll come to you. So that would be my advice. Don't be afraid of failure. That's the really the big thing. I think one of the beauty of comics and, and the process is, is to, as you're going through it, um, if there's something you're, you don't know how it's actually going to play out in that collaborative nature of things where you're like, wow, this is so much better than I thought because mm-hmm. I got the, the page back from Wes and I didn't think of that, but he did. And that's so great. So, yeah. And that happens, you know, because you make up an idea that something should happen in the book and then Wes will start illustrating and then be like, eh, that's not like he was saying, that's not physically possible. You can't do X or Y or you can't possibly have all of this action and three and a half pages of dialogue right here. So there was a lot, you know, there were moments of that where, you know, when you're working and collaborating with a partner, you know, Wes, would, for example, I would I always call him the first. He's the first editor. Because he tells you if it's funny, he tells you if it's if it makes sense, you know, and he and he would tell you like, uh, you're gonna have to cut that in half. <laughs> it's not gonna get in there, and then you have to reimagine the you know what you're trying to get across in that space. So it it morphs and changes until it's done. Well, I love the relationship. There's clearly a lot of trust between you guys to be able to to do that. You know, it, it's got to be tough. You know, you you write something, you you invest in it, and be like, uh, yeah, that's not gonna work when you actually try to apply that to a page. So. Yeah. Well, the first issue of Count Dante comes out in what mid-April? Is that April nineteenth? Is what they're saying. So um, there's always a chance it gets postponed a week or or something. But April nineteenth is on, we're on the we're on the schedule for it. 
Awesome. Well, everybody should make sure to call your comic shop, reserve a copy today, look for it on shelves. Um, Wes and JC, thanks for hanging out with me today on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is Brian O'Neill, and on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.